I have a Wesley quote that I, I actually like quite a bit. It's about what they call ecclesiastical order, which is just a fancy way for talking about how we structure the church. And he said this, he said, what, Wesley said, what is the end of all ecclesiastical order? Is it not to bring souls up from the power of Satan to God and to build them up in his fear and love? And he continues, he says, order then is only valuable as it answers these ends, and if it answers them not, it is nothing worth. I, I think what Wesley is doing is he's talking about the church and how it should be structured in a Wesleyan way. I think sometimes we've attached ourselves to the ideas that Wesley, or the, the, the titles that Wesley used, but we don't understand what he was trying to do with the structure that he created. In fact, his entire structure of classes, bands, societies, all of these um, really, to use another phrase that, uh, from, from Wesley, it was an economy of grace. And of course, grace for Wesley is the power of the Holy Spirit. And so what Wesley did is he created this structure of societies, classes, and bands in order that people might experience the grace of God. Now, in Wesley's day, and this is important if you want to understand him, um, he understood all of this to be within the structure of the Church of England. Wesley uh, never intended for Methodism to be apart from the Church of England. Now, he did number, a number of things which eventually um, led to a, a separation with the Church of England, but his initial idea was for the Methodists to be a renewal movement within that church. Now, so how does, how does his understanding of church order apply to that situation? Well, what he was doing is initially he was adding on to the parish structure of the church. So he was expecting his Methodists, uh, those who followed him, to go to a liturgical service on Sunday morning, essentially, from the prayer book and, and from time to time, it wasn't every Sunday at that point, but from time to time, they would receive communion there in the church. Another time during the week, they met with society, with the Methodist society. And that was when they heard preaching and when they did the hymn singing. Then they were in smaller groups, some of them in classes and some of them in bands. And these really, when you look at the, the, the original text of early Methodism, it was in the intimacy of these small groups when people were keeping each other accountable and, and asking each other questions. My favorite question from these classes, is, and I ask my classes um, this all the time and scare my students, um, is the question, was your first thought this morning on God? And so they would ask each other this. Was your first thought this morning, the very first thought you had when you woke up, was that thought on God? And you had to answer, and it wasn't simply, my students kind of chuckle nervously uh, when I ask them that. The early Methodism, it wasn't a matter of chuckling, it was a matter of if, if, it, if your first thought wasn't on God, then why not? But it was in these intensive small groups that in fact we see the majority of um, narratives about sanctification. When people were um, filled with the love of God to such an extent that sin no longer reigned in their heart. It's in those groups that we actually see this taking place in early Methodism. And really, I think that says a lot about Wesley's genius behind his structure. Now, back to that quote I gave you earlier, Wesley was only wedded to this structure insofar as it served the purposes of God. If it got in the way, Wesley would have chucked it out. And I think that's, that's really a Wesleyan ecclesiology. How are we structured? Do we have the flexibility to in fact preach 
um, the gospel in new places to new people? Are we so wedded to the ideas of our old structure that in fact we are incapable of moving or being flexible? If we've come to that point, then I'd actually argue we're not very Wesleyan. So with Wesleyan ecclesiology, I think it's very important to look and see the flexibility he inherently put in within the system. Now another bit about this is that um, the Methodists, we have to remember the context. Um, to, to even attend some of these meetings was actually illegal. They were called conventicles. And this came from um, the previous century, small groups essentially of about 10 or 12 people, unless they were overseen by a parish priest, were considered illegal. And so, and there were fines attached to this. And so had the, the government of the day actually imposed those fines, it would have bankrupted the average person. So the average Methodist, who by the way would have been um, a Methodist woman, um, that, that's the average then and it is now, um, would have actually bankrupted her family by attending these meetings. That tells you about the commitment that the early Methodists had to this structure. And again, because they felt that in fact God was working through it. Something else about this is that there were many challenges for, for Wesley and the Methodists. We have to remember they weren't the only evangelical movement in England at the time. In fact, they were a part of a larger movement. And so they had to kind of understand, okay, how does our structure work with other evangelical structures? And they tried for decades. They, in fact, tried to work with other evangelicals in the church. Um, they agreed on the, on the importance of the new birth. Right, that transformative relationship with God. They agreed on justification by faith alone, and they agreed also that holiness was necessary to the Christian life. But in the end, because of competing structures, ironically, given the fact that Wesley was so committed to flexibility, they were actually not capable of, of working together. Um, one thing that eventually happened with, with the Methodist societies is eventually they came to be the what we now would simply call Methodist churches. And so the Methodist churches of today are based on that society, uh, the society model that Wesley set up. But I think what Wesley provides us today is a wonderful um, model that in, set, that in fact tells us, all right, if we're going to be Wesleyans, if we're going to be about the transformation of the world, and we're going to be about preaching the new birth, then we need to in fact look at our DNA, look at our origins and say, look, we need to make sure that our structures and our ways of engaging the world are flexible enough to preach the gospel in ever-expanding contexts. <laughs>